Good morning. On this snowy Sunday morning, we have a few people here. It is good to see your smiling faces. We have one anniversary to celebrate this week. Don and Margie Poles will be celebrating their 44th on the 19th of this month. So even though they aren't here with us anymore, we still love them and celebrate their anniversary. I also want to let you know we got a prayer request from one of our missionaries. It says, Dear friends at Ariola Bible Church, we are so thankful for your gifts to us. You are a blessing and we are thankful. We ask prayers for Roger as the doctor thinks he has kidney cancer. He also encourages us to hurry to the lung doctor. I'm asking God for the great and mighty things of Jeremiah 33.3. Love Roger and Eva Jean Dockham. So be in prayer for them. Would you join me in going to the Lord? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the moisture outside, Lord. We thank you that we have a chance to be here together. We pray you bless our time. Lord, and be with the Dockums that you would give the doctors wisdom. And Lord, do the great and mighty things that only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Let's all stand. Let's sing, How Can I Keep From Singing? Troubled times, sing. 
said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you that he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will see, will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. 
In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for revealing yourself through your Son, for sending him to be the payment for our sins, and what we can know about you through the life of Jesus. And we thank you that Jesus has sent forth the Spirit to be within us, Lord. Bless us as we go through our service today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing, Nobody Loves Me Like You.
I thought it was funny this morning, shortly after sunrise, I was Paul has been using the idea of freedom throughout the last few chapters. And it's interesting to remember, he's writing these words into a world that was dominated by slavery. 
I mean, what we think of as a middle class made up a tiny percentage of the population, and those who were upper class or rich were a tiny, tiny, you know, one or two percent. And then of everyone else, a good portion of them were slaves. They were owned by someone else. Their life was not their own. And so as he's writing these words about freedom from slavery, it's inspirational because there's something innate within each of us that, that wants to be free. Remember, I took a class on persuasion and we had an assignment to write about something from a movie, a, a persuasive speech. I had a friend in the class that did his on the fictional speech from the movie Braveheart as William Wallace is trying to get these Scottish men to fight with him. And that speech, he says, I am William Wallace, and I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You have come to fight as free men, and as free men you are. What would you do without freedom? Will you fight? In response to that question, one of the soldiers says, fight against that? They're standing across the field from this enormous English army. The soldier says, no, we will run and we will live. Wallace says in reply to that, aye, fight and you may die. Run and you'll live, at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that one for just one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell your enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Freedom to him was worth giving his life for. It was worth whatever it took. And nearly 500 years later, there was another group of men who sought freedom from the king of England. And written in our Declaration of Independence, it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's those beautiful words, they just that's something we long for because it was something God created within us. And throughout human history, as men have enslaved one another and ruled over one another, there's something in us that wants freedom. We take our rights seriously, or at least we should. As Americans, we've been blessed with many rights. But what about this freedom we have in Christ that Paul's been talking about? Do we think about it? Do we take it seriously? How do we use it? Our big idea for today is that our Christian life is about living out our freedom in Christ. Our Christian life is about living out our freedom in Christ. I went back and forth this week. Our sermon today is going to be on verses 13 through 15. Originally, I was going to go all the way through 18, but we decided to shorten it. So, so we begin in verse 13. Our first point from verse 13 is that we are free to serve 
one another. So as we live out this freedom that we have in Christ, we are free to serve one another. It says there, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We are called to freedom. Paul's coming back to how he began the thought here in the beginning of chapter 5, where he said it was for freedom that Christ set us free. So positionally as believers, we have been set free in Christ. By what he did, by believing in him, we have freedom. That is in our possession. We, that is our position in Christ as we are free. But now Paul is saying experientially, you need to live out that freedom. Again, Paul has been telling the Galatians over and over that they are free, that they are, they are not slaves, that they are not children under a tutor or a guardian, that they are adopted and mature sons, that they are heirs of the free woman, not the bondwoman. And again, Paul sort of summed all that up at the beginning of chapter 5, where it was for freedom that Christ set us free. And now he's saying you need to live out that freedom. You need to experience it. How sad would it be to have freedom and to never, to never live it out? There was a movie I liked when I was young. I liked all kinds of Western movies. And there was one I liked. It was a Tom Selleck movie called Quigley Down Under. And in it, he's in Australia, and he's the bad guy owns this huge ranch, and he has enslaved these aborigines. And at the end of the movie, Tom Selleck defeats the bad guy, and these aborigines start walking off the ranch, shedding the clothes that they had to wear there, essentially showing that they were going to live back in the freedom that they knew. And that's what Paul is telling them to do. You can't just know that you have it. You have to live it. And Paul gives us two applications of this freedom or this liberty that we have, one positive and one negative. We begin with the negative. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Again, he says, for you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. This is very typical of Paul. Again, the, the flesh, the Greek word points to literally our bodies, but Paul uses it often to describe something figurative. Our sinful nature, this human nature that every person both saved and unsaved possesses. And what's Paul saying here? What is this opportunity for the flesh? It's easy to jump to the same idea that might be there in like Romans 6, 1, or what should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Is Paul saying that this is the opportunity for the flesh? Well, you know you're free, so I can just go on sinning. And obviously not, and that is true, but given the context, I think Paul is pointing to something more specific here. That the flesh here, more specifically, is referring to their desire to follow the law. 
I believe that because the, the engine that drives our flesh, our sinful nature, is pride. The first sin among God's created beings was Satan who thought he could be God. The first sin among people were Adam and Eve who wanted to have their eyes open and to be like God. That pride is within all of us and it drives that sinful nature. And so when we point it towards something like the law or legalism where it it points more to ourselves than to Christ, that's an opportunity for that to take over and for us to take our eyes off of what he has done for us. Next week as we get more into walking in the spirit, I'll be jumping back and forth more with Romans 7 and 8, but Paul really expounds on this idea there. And the flesh specifically there is this desire to follow the law, to to work out within myself, trying to please God, to live the Christian life without faith, without walking in the Spirit. Paul next gives a positive application of our freedom, which is to serve one another in love. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And it's my sincere belief that this is what the Christian life is all about. We are to serve one another. Earlier we read in John 13 in verses 34 and 35, Jesus said that he was giving us... Oh, I did not read in John 13. I changed that last minute. Turn with me to John 13. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, I am giving you a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is what Jesus said above everything else, was that we love one another. As we look at that love, what do we do with that love? If we look at the love that Jesus had for us, that love was a serving love. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. He came to give his life for us. So as we look at what we're supposed to be doing with our lives, if we're supposed to love one another, it's not in any way that the world knows, but it's in a Christ-like love that serves each other. I think there's a lot of teachers I've heard out there today that even within evangelical Christianity that sort of have this view of the whole New Testament that it's pointing the way to heaven. But I think as Paul told the Galatians earlier in the book, that that's the elemental things, that's the ABCs. 
We need to move past that, and how do we live our Christian life? Well, that ABCs is the building block upon which everything else comes. But we need to be moving past that. As Paul wrote all of his letters, as John wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, all of these books to these churches were telling them how to live out their Christian life. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is the, the building blocks of our faith perfectly. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of works, it's a gift. But then what does it say in verse 10? For we are his workmanship prepared in him for good works that he has made for us to do. And that's what it's all about. And I believe those good works start with serving one another in love. It's how Jesus set his church apart from the world that was around it. And it's in direct opposition to legalism, to the prideful flesh. Don't let your freedom be an opportunity for the flesh to drive you towards the self-serving, self-seeking way of life. But love one another, serve one another. Serving each other puts yourself lower than others. That's what Jesus, the God of the universe, creator of the universe did when he took on his body and came to this earth to serve. And that's what he wants from us. Paul continues in verse 14 where he say that we are, where we see that we are free to love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This verse reminds us really of two statements from Jesus. Uh, the first in regards to the fulfillment of the laws, Matthew 5, 17. Where Jesus said, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And secondly, that the quote there from Paul is from Leviticus 19.18. But we're probably more familiar with the words of Jesus in Matthew 22. beginning in verse 34. He says, But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends the law and the prophets. So if we are loving God, if we are putting his will before our own, then we are going to love one another as Jesus commanded us. Turn with me to 1 John 4. 
I really love this passage. I don't know if any of you are familiar with Salty, but we did a lot of Salty plays in my church when I was a kid. He was a huge singing songbook. And one of his songs was based off 1 John 4, 7 and 8. And every time I read it, I get the song stuck in my head. The beginning of verse 10, John says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And I believe that's what Paul is getting at here is that he is suggesting that it is actually out of the new life of love made possible within our Christian community through the Holy Spirit that the law finds fulfillment. Now remember, the law served several purposes. First, it, it set Israel apart from the nation around it. Second, the law reveals part of God's character to us. There's a saying that while the law is not regulatory for us in the church age, it is revelatory. It tells us something about God. But most importantly, the law, as Paul has been bringing out here in Galatians, it pointed towards our need for a Savior. That no matter how simple God made the law, they could never keep it. No one could. We all need a Savior. And through his atoning work on the cross, Jesus fulfilled that need. That is how he fulfilled the law. And when we love one another as we love ourselves, it's so easy to, to love myself, but to put someone else's needs, cares above my own, I can't do that without the Holy Spirit. There is no way to do that without the Spirit. But we can because he has given us the Spirit. we can live out that fulfillment that Jesus has done. And in doing so, we show the world around us something they don't have, something that is impossible for them. And we point towards Christ and his fulfillment on our behalf. Our third point from verse 15 is that we are free from quarreling. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. It was funny this week, I was reading an article and it, it talked about the old joke that, you know, a man walks up to a man and a dog and he says to the man, does your dog bite? And the man says no, and so he goes to pet the dog, and the dog nearly rips his hand off. 
And he said, I thought you said your dog didn't bite. He said, well, that's not my dog. What Paul is saying here is that with the devour one another, it's the imagery of wild animals trying to fight and tear each other apart over fighting over a piece of meat. This is the logical outcome from adopting a legalistic lifestyle. Paul has told them that if they wanted to take on circumcision as a way to make themselves right with God, then they had to take on the whole law. And by following each and every one of those rules to show themselves how worthy they would be, that kind of legalism results in criticizing one another, complaining about one another, and condemning each other. Why is that the logical outcome? Well, legalism is driven by the flesh, by our pride. I, 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 me, me, me. And when I am my own focus, what I am doing, there can be no community, no love, no true fellowship. I cannot serve others in a way that pleases God. I will essentially be serving myself no matter what I do. Again, Paul is figuratively saying here that we will tear each other apart like wild animals. This is spiritual cannibalism. How sad is it that instead of being known for love, many churches today are known for that kind of attitude? Why would anyone want to be a part of that? Our flesh, our pride, it will ruin the witness that the church is supposed to be. The world has plenty of selfishness and pride. Why would they need to come to church to hear that too? Paul has told them that we are free from that kind of attitude and behavior when we experientially live out our freedom in Jesus. So we are free to serve, free to live out who we have become by serving one another. And we are free to love in a way that is completely unnatural. We are free from quarreling, free from living out the pride and the sin that comes along with it. Our Christian life is about living out our freedom in Christ. It's about experiencing freedom in a way that glorifies and pleases God. Next week, we'll get into the role of the Holy Spirit. But before I get there, I want to touch on something here that Paul has been continually pointing towards those elemental things that it's so crucial that we keep Christ as our focus. Now, Wednesday nights, we're doing a Bible study and doing it from a book on Ephesians that's called Position and Condition. And the author in that book keeps coming back to, it's his assertion that the first three chapters of Ephesians are about our position in Christ, who we have become by believing in Jesus. And that chapters four through six are about our condition, how we get to become more like Jesus, how we live a life that, that is approved by him, that is 
shows the world around us something different, that new and full life that Jesus has offered us. And it's the author's assertion that if you focus on your condition, nothing will ever get better. That I can look at the sin in my life and grieve over it and focus on it or focus on the good that I'm doing and all those things just put the focus on me. But if I focus on who I am in Jesus, that that should change the decisions I make and who I am. And I think that's part of what Paul is trying to bring out here. That as these Galatians have been tricked into thinking that they had to do something, that they had to take on the law, that if they wanted to be right with God, they had to in some way partake in Judaism and the law that God had given so many years ago, that Paul is saying no. That puts the focus on yourself. That puts the focus on your condition. Focus on your position, who you are in Christ. You've been called to freedom, brethren. Live it out. When I think about that, go back to our own nation. We have this freedom. I did nothing to earn it. But we have several days a year, July 4th, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, these days where we, we think about and we give honor and thanks to those who, who served. I remember as a child going to places like Valley Forge and thinking, my goodness, what people gave up so that I can have these freedoms? Or Gettysburg, where we fought to our unity and see the, the gravestones as far as they can go. Our freedom wasn't free, and neither is our freedom in Christ. Jesus Christ paid the price for our freedom. And we need to focus on what he has done for us and not on what we can think we can accomplish or can't. Focus on him and let that truth of who you are in him change your outward actions. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you for who I am in Jesus Christ. I thank you that you've given me the spirit and that I can... I can experience loving other people through his power in a way that I couldn't do on my own. And I could experience serving others in a way that pleases you. That I can live a life focused on you and not on myself and that gives fellowship with other believers instead of quarreling. Lord, I pray that you help us in this church to be known to be a a church that loves one another. I see the love here, and I pray that that continues, Lord, that through your grace and your spirit, that that is what Ariel Bible Church is known for. In Jesus' name we pray.